0: You know, there's some conversations that I have here at Bag, and they just honestly leave you with a smile because they're so raw and real and just... I don't know, kind of like you're just chatting to a mate. And today's episode is definitely one of those. I think Marty Lovegrove's definitely taken a few different pathways across his life and I think it's so interesting. People who have kind of diverse backgrounds, who do different things, who kind of follow a passion and somehow just make things work out. As a kid, Marty wanted to be a Shearer, just like his dad. As a young'un, he'd dream of the days, spending the wool shed on the family farm on South Australia's Eyre Peninsula. Now, he may never have pursued the shearing thing, but uh, he's definitely made a remarkable impact and career in agriculture. Not just through his own, I guess, experiences as an agronomist, but today as a business owner as well. The big leaps, backing yourself, and the rewards associated with creating opportunities for the next generation of agronomists coming through is something that really stuck out to me in this conversation with Marty. Marty's been recognised as a Syngenta Growth Award winner in the category of Productivity Advisor. So, let's get into this week's episode and hear Marty's story, and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it.
1: So, no, I was going to say, now that I'm a business owner, and you find yourself having these conversations with other business owners... And um, that you wouldn't even think that I would be having five years ago, you chat to someone and you yourself, Ollie, in now you're running your little enterprise. You talk about different things that you you just didn't even think of a few years ago and the commonalities between running a business and an ag supply business like mine or the mechanics shop down the road, there's commonalities at the same. So yeah, yeah, it is. And. To be perfectly honest, the business side of things is what interests me the most, even in farming. Like growing crops, great, growing big crops, even better. But it's actually the business structures and how you, you run the business and how you set it up in the accounting side. And yeah, that's, I, I find that greatly interesting.
0: Well, and I, like, I just find it so fascinating because it's, it's always like analysis and it's always problem solving, being like, okay, we're here, but how do we get to there? And I guess there's no kind of linear way. Like we literally before we jumped on here to record, we're chatting about like projects and yeah, like we can look at what's happening in Jan, Feb and March and we're actually nearly out of time and we're looking at how we've structured things. It's like, oh, we've got this week or two weeks to do this, but it's like, well, actually, instead of doing it across two weeks, can we do it in two days? And then how does it flow from one person back to me, back to someone else to be finalized? And
1: Yes, and, and then you, you realize that, if it's the limitation of your business or what you're doing is the people power, you know, it, do you take the step and grow the business in, in employees? That's something, you know, that, that we've gone through well, pretty majorly the last couple of years. You know, I don't even know what we're up to. i, I have say nine staff in our business now. We employed another graduate yesterday. And um, so the, the Christmas show, which I, I, Millie told me you had yours the other day, I think. And <laughs> yeah. um, the Christmas show is getting a bit expensive, Ollie. Yeah, so it's good.
0: Mate, you know the first thing that I default to when someone tells me how many employees they go, all I think of is what payroll must be like each fortnight but then also <laughs> each month when you get your bill and your PAYG of what you've got to pay. And I think ours is bad. We're three heading on four. But for you at nine, you're, yeah, at least double ours.
1: <laughs> and, you know, you're employing professionals, mostly professionals, and they like to get remunerated for their time. Which is good, and they should. And I was an employee once, and I, I thought the same. So that was good. And you can't do it without them.
0: No, absolutely not. And I think that's the it's the coolest part of what like, business where you start to see people with skills that you, like uh, that I don't even have. And for me, I think twenty twenty four what I really want humans of ag to be is like move from I guess this attachment that it has to me at the moment to being more of like a we. And how we actually do that is it's a real challenge, but I think. Hopefully, when we sit here this time next year, it's like, how cool is that? It's now evolved that it's, it's bigger than me. It's beyond me. It's, it's a real team and different people bringing different aspects into it. So
1: I heard one interview you did with a guy. He was advertising for a station manager somewhere, and he was just saying that if he does his job right, he'll be out of a job. You know what I mean? Like, so, if he builds his business, or who was it for? I
0: can't remember. It was Ben Dwyer, Harvest Road.
1: Yeah, so if he does his job right, that means that he's, doing, he's put, making himself redundant, you know, and that's true success, isn't it? I mean, I only imagine that.
0: Mm. That idea of as a, as a small business owner throwing out that, yeah, my, my job, like, I know I'm successful when I don't actually have to do anything or that, that I'm actually not the best person running the business is, is actually true success.
1: <laughs> that is true success. I've when I said that. I was just like, wow. Yeah, that's the way to describe it. Yeah, <laughs> that's like but that's.
0: Or maybe the other way is when you've got the systems and the people there that you can actually go like, you know what? I actually just want to return to being an agronomist, and I'm going to go away from doing payroll and all of that, and I'm just going to go be an agronomist.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I think I've had the epiphany now that I think that's where I'm at in my position. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think I think I think that's where I'll be happiest just doing that. Yeah. And so, and talking to a mechanic who owns a machinery dealership, and this was a few years ago, he said, he's just employing as many apprentices as he can get. So, it didn't matter how many. So, this was through, you know, a tractor dealership. And he said, it doesn't matter how many, but I'll put them on, I'll put them on. Because inevitably, how many stay? Um, If you get a couple to stay, you know, if you've got a great succession plan going forward, I guess that stuck with me a bit in what we're doing too. So, now we've got... We took on a graduate last year. We'd taken on a graduate yesterday, so for next year, and it's about the the flow effect and, you know, these guys growing and learning and and hopefully getting a few to stick around.
0: Yeah, a few putting you out of a job. So, Marty, I'm interested. I think we're going to cover a little bit of country in this conversation, but I want to start off. How does a, a kid from South Australia who wanted to be a shearer end up as an agronomist? And Tell me about this fascination with shearing.
1: So... Am I allowed to say that I'm a skinny white boy from the Varan Valley in Air Peninsula? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's essentially. So grew up on a family farm at a place called Rudow, and just a kid on the farm. And I've heard different podcasts, you speak to people, and, and I was a kid on the farm. I, was, I just loved it. And so we were a, a sheep and wheat and barley farm, and I just loved loved shearing time. I'd sit in the, in the wool bars all day when I was a kid, you know, they know, chucking the pieces, me i was sort of catching them and flick them into the, into the bale and, and i just loved that and when i got a bit older i used to sweep the floor and get in the way of the shearers no doubt yeah i was just really fascinated i loved it as a kid and that's what i wanted to do i thought it was cool and um, i guess in a way every boy wants to be what their dad was and does so you know my dad was a shearer and and you know a lot of the cool guys when i was a young fellow growing up they became shearers and yeah it was good that was interesting so And then to how to become agronomer when I become an agronomist. So dad's a first-generation farmer, which is quite interesting. So him and his brother went share farming of all places, a a place called Penong, which is, you know, your listeners might know, but on the Australian Bight, and if anyone's driven across there, you know, it's not, you know, they've grown good crops, no doubt, but it's not what you say is like blue ribbon farming country. And him and his brother had an eight bag average one year and a nine bag average the next year on pretty big acres back in the early seventies. And um he said he made enough money to buy a farm and so well, to start farming anyway. And so he began that with shearing and and into that he said he paid a lot of tax on that. He always says that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so when I got to the pointy ends of me growing up and trying to learn to shear and, and dad showing me a bit and he was pretty patient I suppose and 14, 15 year old thinking he was Shannon Warner from the Speed Shearer. He just said, Marty, no, no, Shearing's not the go, mate. It's not. So, um, my mum and dad were pretty determined on getting me to university, which is what we did, you know. Um, it was the best decision of my life put upon me by my parents, and, and they encouraged me to do that. And that's what we ended up doing was going to university.
0: Do you ever? reflect back and go like i really wish i'd gone shearing or do you think it was it was something that you're interested in because you're exposed to it and it kind of faded
1: yeah yeah some days i'll tell you mate, sitting i'll just think how easy would it be how less stressful would it be the harder you work the more you make which is straight out good business and after work what are you worried about you just you worry about the next day's shearing. you know the stress of it would be Pretty nice, pretty nice, to be honest, or oh, the lack of stress in it would be, I do think from time to time, we'd, yeah, it'd be nice to blow out 200 sheep and just go have a schooner at the, at the pub and knock off for the day.
0: Mate, how's this? Okay, slight tangent, because I'm going to come back to another point, but I was in, in Queenstown very recently, and I bumped into a fella down the road, and anyway, I was like, oh, what are you up to? He was a farmer in the area. He said, oh, I've just been watching two women break the world record of shearing, most sheep shorn in 24 hours, and I reckon he said... It was a mother and daughter, and now we're going to have to go fact check this, a mother and daughter duo, 24-hour record, and 1,170 sheep or something in 24 hours.
1: <laughs> oh, mate. That'd be good money, wouldn't it? That'd be good.
0: Well, it would be. The other thing I was going to say is, like, you could clock off from work and have no worries until the next day. The only thing is when you go on holidays, all you could think about is how tough that first day back shearing's going to be after a little time off.
1: yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's be honest. It's a dream. Best left as a dream.
0: Yeah. yeah. Sorry to, to crush your dream, mate.
1: And no, and, and interesting for your podcast, perhaps we should leave uh, no fact-checking of our podcast just in case, eh? <laughs>
0: <laughs> this one only. Yeah, no, we always fact-check. So, Marty, tell me, your old man's a first-gen farmer. I'm interested, was there a pull from him to come back to the farm or was there actually not the opportunity to do that straight out of university?
1: No. Well, yes and no. Yeah, especially straight out of uni, there was a bit of interest in me coming home. We actually looked at buying a farm about that time, or when I was in my last year at uni, and it didn't happen. So it just didn't happen like that. No. So and then even dad has never ever you know suggested coming home. Like it's never been. He's like, you do what you want to do. And um but yeah, there was. I was pretty keen early. Like straight at the end of uni, I was thinking, yeah, that might be the go. But it didn't turn out. And so I ended up getting a. Job in the Department of Ag on York Peninsula in South Australia. You know, not far. It's a pretty central area in South Australia. It's a really good farming area, and got a job there, and, which is great.
0: And there was a fork in the road. You were doing that for a while, then you thought, you know, what that university thing my parents pushed me into wasn't so bad after all. Maybe I'll go and study a little bit more.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. So basically, the time at York Peninsula finished uni. That was number one, right? You know, i you went to uni, I suppose. I don't know, but. I went to uni and I had a great, great time. It was, the aim was to finish uni, right? Um, but what I got out of uni was the contacts and the mates. And, you know, you, you still know all the, the lecturers and whatever. Um, a lot of them are still lecturing, actually, which I found out the other day. But it's the mateship and, and the contacts you make from uni, which is good. And that's why I went. Well, not why Dad sent me. I'm sure he sent me to get an education. But I went to, to meet people, which is the biggest part of agriculture, probably. York Peninsula happens, I loved York Peninsula. I was the Paskerville B grade footy coach for a year, which was pretty exciting. Got amongst it at Pasky, we loved it. I got, so, York Peninsula was a big driver in lentils and growing lentils in Australia. They sort of pioneered it. I'm not even sure when they started working on it, but I was there in about 05, 06, 07, and lentils was a big part of what they did. I had a couple of families there that sort of took me under their wing and looked after me. That was really nice and, and still great friends with them. I remember when I was there, one day I was out at, out at um, George Price's and he was reaping lentils and, and he said, Marty, that header box full, that's going to pay for my daughter's car. And I was just like, you are kidding me. How could you have, you know, that, they're worth that much. Like, this is just insane. And this is back in 'O five, and so it was a big part of what they were doing agronomy was a big part of what they were doing too because it was, you know, it was, it was a reasonably new industry but it's intense, like this has to work. It's a lot of, lot of money on the line. So it was pretty, pretty eye-opening start to the career of agronomy and eye-opening is for the money that was involved in it and for sure that was exciting, yeah. And then sort of got the opportunity, the, the, the call of the bright lights of Adelaide come up to go back into research in Adelaide. So I left that and packed my bags and went to the Big Smoke.
0: Was it an easy decision after spending all that time like out in the paddocks to then go back into research?
1: Mentally, I, I was keen, yeah. Why was that? I don't know. I don't know. It was just a stage of my life. I would, I would have been, I don't know how old I was, probably 20. Ooh, how old was I? You know, 23. That's a pretty, pretty cool age to be in the city, I suppose. I was just mentally ready. I thought that the job opportunity there, so I worked in the South Australian Research Development Institute. It was all research-based. It was pretty specific working on on the crop barley and working with the barley breeders and and all the staff at sardi and especially then sardi was truly science-based and the opportunity of that job i was like yeah I was, I, was, I was ready i was keen i was just a bit of a fork in the road to go that way and and so i did that
0: in that research field how different was it going from being like a graduate agronomist working for the department out in the paddock to then going on that other side of the fence
1: it was a lot of similarities you know you, get, you had to get back in front of the computer which took me back to uni days a bit.
0: Without all the after hours, fun things.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Put it this way, Ollie, I was really enjoying my social life at this time of my career and work was interesting. It was good. It was good. So I was on the back on the keyboard, you know, typing away, writing up papers and, and researching and, and working with some great, great minds and getting to meet all the intellects in in the Wade Institute at Adelaide Uni and, and, and Sardi and, and Sorrow there. That was really interesting and great and, and interacting and mingling as you did in, in the tuck shop and contacts I made there was valuable. Really valuable. And you know, had some great mentorship there with, with a few blokes and, and still great mates with the, the colleagues I had there who are now, you know, there's some guys there's some guys that have gone up the ranks um for sure um, that I used to work with there. So that's exciting and, and good for them. And no, I, I enjoyed working there. I got to a point there ollie that i think mum and dad recognized it too that i was probably at a bit of another crossroad i finally got to another crossroad where if i was there for another year i probably was that's probably where i was going to be and i probably didn't love it in the end but if i was going to stay there it would have meant going on for more education and and doing my masters like if i was going to do it i was going to do it properly so you know go and do my masters and mum and dad rang up one day and said marty there's a farm for sale down the road. If you're interested in coming home, this is your opportunity. And, you know, drag me out of the wool shed, <laughs> shed floor on Harley Street. You better come home, boy. Um, and so that's what we did.
0: Why do you reckon there was a nexus in your career? Like it was, it was either one more year and you kind of stuck. Like why was that?
1: I don't know. I think I was, it was becoming home. That's, it was just becoming home. You know, when you sort of you anchor yourself a bit and when you're there, you can, you, you can really... You know, you, you feel at home, and I, and I did. I, I loved it there in you know, Adelaide. But I, I, yeah, I've often thought that if it was one more year, if you're there long enough, you know what I mean. Oh, like if you look move somewhere and live somewhere long enough, you know that that's what becomes home. And um, it worked out really, really good. That mum and dad made a phone call and said, you know, what do you want to do? And I'm a farm boy. I'm a skinny white boy from Barren Valley. You know, grew up in the sand hills and wanted to be a shearer. So, you know, that was it. So, um. Friday, Dad, let's do it. We bought a farm. We went three ways. Mum, Dad and I bought a farm called Hillside in the Varan Valley, which is great. Uh, and I moved home. Um, part of that was that I still had to work off-farm as well. Um, yeah, being that the farming enterprise wasn't big enough. And growth is expensive and, and that sort of thing. So I came home and to Cleve and, and started working, doing agronomy part-time and farming part-time, which really, really means that I was Full time agronomy and full time farming, yeah. And so we we, we took on the, the new chapter there.
0: Was it, I guess, a less risky way of doing it, having the agronomy as well as the farming side of things, or was it just what was needed to hit repayments and things?
1: Oh no, it was it was financially like financially driven, you know, um, to take another full time wage out of the farm. It was a financial thing, yeah, basically. I mean, but also probably opportunistic. So in a way, um. You know to come home not to go straight into straight into farming full-time you know it's still utilize some of the experience and, and knowledge that i've built up over the, the years so i was about 25 then when this happened and 26 and yeah it was just a it was a handy way to make some pocket money i suppose while starting a dream of farming
0: were there any moments where full-time farming became like a real opportunity and, and something you could have pursued
1: no, no, no. So from that point agronomy was, was ingrained in what I was doing. I suppose I saw myself as a farmer because I was still farming and, you know, working flat out on the farm. I guess people would have recognised that perhaps I was an agronomist and, and doing an agronomy, that's what I did. But, you know, deep inside me I and I still recognise that I'm a farmer. If anyone asks what I do, I'm a farmer at first and, and agronomy on the side. But so yeah, it was busy times uh, doing that. So Worked there for nearly 10 years, I suppose. And then we hit another crossroad, Ollie.
0: There's a few a few of me, here, Marty.
1: Oh, mate. That's, yeah. I guess, you know, these opportunities are present and they can be quite life defining moments, can't they? And I've always sort of taken them up. So then, after being doing agronomy here for 10 years, the opposition store down the road asked, approached me to buy into their business and, and coming in. So, so that was, a, that was a pretty big moment. So talked to my family and wife about this and um and whatever. And interesting thing from mum and dad, they were really good at advice early in my life. When it came to this, dad just said straight out, Marty, this is up completely up to you. You know, if you want to do this, it's up to you. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. You know, but he, he, he still hasn't today told me, you know, whether I should have, should have or shouldn't have um, gone in and, and purchased the Cleaver Rural which is quite interesting. I think his thinking was, if it didn't work out, I can't blame him. <laughs> he said to do it or not do it. But um, Anyway, so we went on to, to purchase Cleaveral Traders, my wife and I, and so that's where we're at today. So I'll paint you a picture, Ollie.
0: Well, I was just going to ask you if I could there. So your old man sat on the fence around your decision to it, but like purchasing a business, an existing business, I guess you have a bit of an understanding of where they're at, but nonetheless, it's a huge life decision. Did you have mentors or other people that you were leaning on at that time?
1: Uh, yeah. So, in another podcast of yours, you spoke to someone and-
0: You've listened to a few.
1: I did, mate. I've had 30 hours on the boom spray. I've <laughs> I smashed them. If you can't see it, you can't be it. And that stuck with me. And I, I changed it in my mind because I like to say things positively. If you can see it, you can be it. So, I've, I had two mates that um, owned rural outlets and farmed to different degrees. And so I could see what they were doing. And so this opportunity presented and, and yeah, you know, I spoke to those guys um, as sounding boards because that's what they do. And, you know, they strongly suggested that I'd be mad not to take up the opportunity because you don't get these opportunities, you know. A lot of these business ownerships, well, especially these days, are handed down through generations in families. And, and there was an opportunity for me to, to buy in a business. I, I guess I created my own opportunity to, to buy this buy into the business and I used – you know, these couple mates, um, they're in the same situation as sanding boards, and they were like, mate, pin your ears back. Let's have a go. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. So we did. Emily and I bought into Cleveland Traders. So I'll paint me this picture. It's 2020, COVID. We've got a small business, right? Like we're going into the underdog. We bought the underdog. We bought Afghanistan in the World Cup cricket, you know. So we're bringing a team. We're bringing it. We're pumped up. And so... 2020 COVID, she's all on. Everything is blowing up in expense, blowing up on freight. You can't get anything because there's no ships moving because everyone's locked down 2020, 2021. And growth is expensive and hard work. So we probably couldn't have picked a harder time to do what we were doing. I said to him, it was like, we were ducks on water, swimming uphill, you know, cool on top, everything's sweet. We're growing the business. The business growth is going to be great. Working really, but underneath, we were just flat out pumping. It was hard. It was really hard. One, growth is expensive and any business owner knows that. And so when it's expensive and then you put the COVID premiums on everything, it was super expensive. Supply being hard, you know, and I was loving agronomy and driving up taking a few new technologies and one of that, you know, an example of, of this is um, it was canola. And so we, we bought a business that's got no sales history, really. And all of a sudden, we are ordering tons and tons of canola. And the company's like, yeah, what are you basing this off? And so we really desperately needed a couple of these different varieties. And the guys in the store, so the guy that, that does the, um, the seed procurement wasn't getting anywhere. I, I, I had to ring this guy. I so, like, mate, I need more tons. Like, I literally need more tons. And he's like, Marty, <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you this. And it was like a little bit more. He said, Marty, I'll let you know. I'm doing my best for you. You've got the most in South Australia. I'm like, all right, There's not much more we can do about that. But then that's cool. And then, you know, there's another situation there where there was this new new herbicide coming out from another company and, and, you know, it's going to be good, you know, so lots of acres and we just couldn't get enough. We could not get enough. It was the first year it was out and it was huge. And, you know, we were, I'd grow, I had growers saying, Marty, we need this stuff. We need this stuff. I was like, yes, I know. We're working it, working it. You know, it's the same thing. And my manager, we got a manager in shopping. who just said, Marty, we're top 10 in Australia. I was like, oh, well, you know, we're trying our best here, guys. And But, you know, when you're you trying to relay that, you don't tell that to the, the clients. Then, you know, you, you're a duck, mate. You're cool. You're calm. It's like, look, we're doing our best. This is what's going on. It's new product. But, you know, we were kicking some pretty big goals, and um, it was tough. It was really, really tough. It was a lot of work. And I guess, in a way, this is where our relationship with Syngenta started as a business. They recognized straight away out of all, all of our suppliers, you know, some that really good to us. But Syngenta recognized that we were onto something good, you know. We weren't, you know, talking rubbish. We had some serious growth about us. And there was two guys in Syngenta sat down with us and said, right, how can we help? You know, growth is expensive, you know. And they had some, re- some new products coming out. And, yeah, they were really good support to us at Cleaver Rural. Especially those first couple of years. Well, and still now, but especially those first couple of years.
0: Mate, I want to ask you a question about had I have met you and you were to be completely honest at that that point in time in those first couple of years, you say there was lots happening, the business was growing. Like, what was actually going on? And how were you coping and managing this kind of new experience?
1: And we had our first child. Um, <laughs> the man loves
0: chaos, doesn't he?
1: <laughs> oh, Ollie. Yeah. I like being busy. But to be honest, you keep a fair bit in, into yourself for sure because, you know, you've got to look like you know what you're doing and, and be calm and whatever. And, I mean, I wasn't the only one in store. We, we had two other agronomists and a manager and myself and a merchandise manager and a franchise bloke. And we are all the same. We are all gone was really busy times, and we, we shared a lot of that together and our manager was a newly appointed manager on us purchasing the business and, and she did a brilliant job. And What did I look like? I don't know. You probably didn't see me because I was in the corner crying.
0: <laughs> I got asked this question, I think it was last year anyway, and it completely rattled me. And Someone said, like, what do you do for fun to get away from the business and, and so you can cope? What do you do for fun?
1: That's interesting, isn't it? So, well, at the minute, I play cricket really poorly. Yeah, I do enjoy cricket. I'm a good village cricketer, I'll, I'll paint it like this. If John Howard was bowling and he saw me and he saw me walk out to the wicket, he'd reckon he's a chance. <laughs> yeah, right. But, yeah, I, I enjoy cricket. That, and that is good. That is a good pass on. That was a good relief. Swimming, yeah, always been a swimmer. Yeah, just go swimming, punch out the laps.
0: Yeah. There you go. Lots of time to think.
1: Yeah, too much time for taking probably, but you're counting laps and and breathing. Yeah, swimming for me. What do you do, Ollie?
0: Mm, Kyle said it still still rattles me. Um, I started going to the gym. I go there in the mornings. I find that helps. Yeah, I think the thinking thing, yeah. I have got into swimming a little bit. Did a triathlon recently, so that was pretty good. That occupied a bit of time.
1: Yeah, right. You are pretty fit, yes.
0: no. But yeah, no, it's interesting because I, th- I think it's the challenge with small businesses not it you just get s- it becomes totally consuming in the sense of and the part that I'm like it's well, – and I don't know, does it ever become easy? Because it's like if things are going well, it's like, oh, well, let's, let's grow the business, let's bring more people in. And then it's like, well, actually by bringing that person in, you've created more stress for yourself because now there's more that you need to actually do to deliver. And someone only said it to me recently. They were like, oh, well, if you're a team of three, you bring another person in, you've actually grown your business 25% overnight. And I'd never even thought about that. And now I do a lot.
1: Yeah. And, and that's exactly right. You do. And your payroll goes up by the same amount. <laughs> but so it's interesting because mentally, I thought this last year, I wasn't the duck on water, wasn't swimming so hard. I thought things were getting easier. I said that to Em and she's like, Marty, you're still paddling. You're still flat out paddling. I was like, yeah, feels like I'm not. So it feels like I've been better at letting people do their jobs. So the business was originally a big part about me the growth in the business or the business going forward isn't about me it's about you know the guys i work with you know it's about the the other agronomists in the store and their growth and so i think i've recognized that this year the start of this year start of 23 i recognize that i think and i've been working with these guys for a few years now and and, but i think that's taken a bit of the mental the mental load off of me yeah it's not about me anymore it's about these guys that's really cool and the graduates coming through you know it's about them.
0: So how do you manage that with the team? And when I say that I mean like so in the sense of what you're going through of of growing the business, it is me seeking advice now. With the different moving pieces within the business that you've got happening, plus you actually needing to do the admin business management, whatever else sits kind of behind that, how do you show up with your team? So it's still like Marty's here as the leader manager of the business and he's got the direction of where we're going, but he's also kinda unsure and paddling in the background
1: (laughs) uh i mean for me radio so it's routine it's routine with the shop i'm probably not always a visual presence in store given that i'm farming a lot as well but it's routine so you know every week we have a monday morning meeting that's what it looks like every week so everyone knows that it's what happened last week what happens is happening this week it's all about communicating that and it's just about having good honest discussions With the guys, you know, how are you going there? What's happening here? They don't often ask me. That's quite sad, isn't
0: it? um, Maybe it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, maybe I'm looking like I'm going all right. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Not all superheroes wear capes, do they, Ollie? They don't. No, you just do your best and you worry about. So for me in our business, staff happiness is number one above anything else. It's making sure that um, the guys I work with are happy. If they're happy, they're doing a good job. And that for me, if. you know, customer, customer satisfaction is pivotal to business success. But if, if the staff aren't happy, you know, they're not going to relay that on. They're not going to do the little extra mile thing. That is um, number one. So if they're happy, I'm happy. And, you know, if the business doesn't go as well as the last couple of years, well, that's life, you know. As long as these guys are happy and doing their best, it, that's all you can ask. That's all I ask.
0: So let's change tact a little bit but not a huge amount. We're chatting to you because of the Syngenta Growth Awards and you're a 2023 winner in the productivity category as an advisor you're going to be heading overseas and joining a group of some really interesting people from right across australia is there something you're leaning into that with or something that you're kind of curious about that you hope you can maybe thrash around with the crew when you get the chance to sit down
1: yeah i mean so the syngenta growth awards that's been a process you know it started 12 months ago with the nomination and which is great. And I thought, wow, I've been nominated for this. That's exciting. Thank you very much. <laughs> I thought that was, that's, that's, that's good. That's it. And then you don't hear anything for a while. And then all of a sudden, you know, righto, we got a, a Zoom meeting. And I said to him, they, they sort of disguise these Zoom meetings as, they're almost like interviews in a way, you know, like they're trying to sound you out and this and that. So I did a couple of these throughout the year, you know, might have been a couple of months between them and, and kept doing that. And then got announced as the Zone winner. Which I guess is um southern zone, South Australia, um, whatever. That was great. And, you know, we, we're going to Sydney. Yeah, you're beauty. <laughs> I love Sydney, Ollie. Hey, you're in Sydney? Nah, Geelong. Geelong, sorry, rightio. Well, that doesn't mean as much to you then.
0: <laughs> I was in Sydney last week, so that kind of counts.
1: Yeah, it's good, isn't it? So, yeah, no, we went to, we're going to Sydney. Then we had another Zoom meeting. And um, I remember this day particularly because I just had a bad day and I was in a, I was in a grump and uh, anyway, just did a Zoom meeting and I could—I said it to him after did it that afternoon. I was like, that just felt like it was sort of like, it did feel like they were sounding you yeah. out. Anyway, that was the last of that and we're off to Sydney. So we went to Sydney and had the awards ceremony, which they put on really, really well. Oh, and I'll say this because I don't think the agriculture industry celebrates successes or good efforts that well. There's something about us farmers and, and people in agriculture that we just don't seem to recognize people that well for doing good things i don't think so it's really good at syngenta to do this I still don't think i'm a worthy winner but, but anyway we got to sydney thanks syngenta we had a, a great time meeting the people that were nominated or zone winners at sydney was just great there were some guys that i knew by reputation from western australia and i was just like this this is just insane. It was great. Um, one guy I'd met before and from, from Western Australia. And yeah, had the awards. It was be like the Brownlow. <laughs> Very exciting. So I, I said, Damn, it was really well done. And um, they called my name out, and that was great. And so we're a winner. Thank you, Syngenta. And so that means that we're going on a trip to Switzerland, which is really exciting. I've done a bit of traveling, Ollie, and I never tend to do too much homework before I go. I don't know why, but I, I, I like the shock. I like the shock of it a bit. And so I suppose Switzerland, I don't know a huge much, hugely about. I do know that Roger Federer is from Basel. And that's where we're going. That's the homeless ingenta, So uh, perhaps I'll take my tennis racket. Tennis racket, I might get around.
0: No, nah, don't take one. Just borrow one off him.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit unfair. I'm a year or two younger than him, so but uh, we'll see how we go. <laughs> Yeah, so what do I look to see there? The Homer Syngenta. The Syngenta are a very, very important company in agriculture, a very important company in what we do day to day. I really look forward to seeing the Homer Syngenta and what they produce and, and how things work, you know, to get an understanding of the starting point of a product to, and to how we use it in the field and, and be very exciting. I'm sure it'll be beautiful.
0: How do you hope that that's going to impact your career moving forward?
1: Oh, it's just recognition, Oli. I don't think it will impact my career going forward too much. Yeah, it's just recognition, I think. You know, nearly 20 years' work and, and um, the growth and the people that have influenced me over those years and, and hopefully the, the influence for the better I've had on, on the guys I've worked with. And, yeah, it's just recognition. So, yeah, it's nice. You know, I, I know previous winners and it's just it's really humbling to be put my name against theirs or next to theirs and, Oh, I don't think it will change anything too much, but it's pretty cool, really cool.
0: And am I right in thinking that one of your mentors is a previous winner as well?
1: Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I first moved home in 2010, Mick Broad was, well, Edmund, and I still rate him as, as the godfather of agronomy on Air Peninsula. And the way he thought about agronomy was truly inspiring and then I spent quite a few hours talking to him and, and um, working with him. Oh, I've said to him over the years that he was I introduced him as my mentor, and he's like, oh, piss off, lovey. I would never meant would you?" But you know what I mean. I guess that's what mentorship is, isn't it? It's someone that you just you just have conversations with, and and you just you're drawn to their way of thinking, and and you like the way they go about it. You know, and you learn some key principles from from the way they've gone about their career, and, and Brodie's truly you're a very good agronomist, and, and now I'm retired. But that's yeah, it's pretty
0: cool. Mm, for sure. No, I think um, mentors really, it's like another form of friendship, isn't it, in, in some ways? There's a real genuine care and kind of interest in the other person's kind of success as part of it.
1: And it's just about having conversations, you know, and a lot of that, I, don't know, I mean, mateship, I suppose, isn't it? You know, common goals and common interests and, and just picking someone's brain of an opinion that you respect and, yeah,
0: it's just organic. For sure. Mate, I've got a couple of questions I want to finish on. One I've got to ask you though, you've done a little bit of travel, you say you didn't do a whole lot of kind of prep work before you travel and whatnot, but tell me like agriculture, what you're seeing kind of globally in terms of Morocco and when you traveled there, what has that taught you? And I guess one thing, and why I ask that is I'm super fascinated about the role ag plays kind of globally, because I think as we kind of chatted about at the very beginning, I say I I sit more in a like bigger picture thinking space, but I think agriculture fundamentally everyone relies on it every day to eat but also we can do a lot of good for people communities in the environment and yeah and that's achieved kind of through doing agriculture better so tell me about morocco and even off the back of that what you've learned about ag in a global sense
1: so it's interesting this is just such a big conversations point isn't it? so yeah traveled when or oh, so growing up at Clive, when we did and i used the comment earlier about if you can't see it you can't be it and so when i was a kid no one went overseas you know it was i I had a drama teacher in about year six who had been to rome and france and she saw the Colosseum, and i was like like, this is mind-blowing i I nearly just didn't believe it you know this this is this is insane if you can't see it you can't believe it and so we never experienced it we never witnessed it it wasn't until i went to uni and some really good mates of mine. Now and then they'd had a gap year, and travelled through Europe for a year. And I was just like, "This is insane!" And, and one mate especially is like, "Lovey, I've been through countries. I didn't Don't even think I was awake." <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, this this is just unreal." These guys are doing this, and and so for me, I, I could see that this is what you could do. You could, can you can actually do this. So and partly, and I want to put that onto my children too with the travel. But and so that's where I saw it, and so. I never traveled much because I was so focused on my career there earlier on. And once I started, so I've never traveled overseas for work. It's always just been for recreation. But being a farm boy, you always take interest in, in how the, the landscape is happening around you. We are going through Morocco, a place called Meknes, and I just saw the biggest wheat crops I've ever seen. You know, the crops in Northern Africa, I was like, wow, this is huge. You know, you, you, don't worry about Australia feeding the world, mate. Africa's going to feed the world. I remember that. That's what I was saying. Myself, you know, there was a guy riding a mule, and he was spraying his crop with a hand backpack sprayer. Riding his mule, <laughs> imagine the auto steer on that, mate. You just bloody going wherever the, the mule takes you. And here we are today, you know, spraying 2,000 acres a day, and his old mate pumping his back sack, and he's probably growing five times the crop that we're growing. That was pretty impressive in Morocco. That was definitely impressive. And whenever I, I go travelling, I like to go somewhere a little bit different. So you know, Mexico and, and Cuba. Cuba was really interesting with the, the communism going on there. You know, there's farmers harvesting sugarcane with Russian machinery. That's just insane. And, you know, they're probably getting paid a wage and, and it's all just for the government. Well, it would have been. No doubt it would have been. That was interesting. I just wonder whether they might have been happier in what they're doing too. Sometimes I wonder the, the less money you have and the less things you have and the, the people seem to be happier or just more content with what they're doing. In Cuba it was interesting because there seemed to be a, our generation of people just seemed to be so determined to get into the real world, like the the Western world, the open communications, and you know, get onto Facebook and this. And, and when you're in, in um, uh, Havana, um, that, that there's a real vibe of that. They're trying to do that. I mean, you're still in communist Cuba. The further you got away from that, it's just like and you, you can't tell them. It's probably a pretty unpopular opinion, but you. I thought that, you know, they're probably better off not. They they were just happy. They are just happy people, you know. It was simple. They didn't get paid much, but nothing cost anything. Did you know in Cuba the biggest export they've got is doctors? That's insane. Cuba. Because education's free. And so all their doctors just go off into other South American countries. That's insane. Free education. Beautiful. Where else? India. We're in a a state in India called Rajasthan. Anyone travelled to India has been to Rajasthan. But we went off into a regional area and so we stayed at this prince's palace. Oh man. So they were on power rations. And Rajasthan, if you, you see cricket in, on TV in India, it's hot. And this was, serious, yeah, it was seriously hot. And um, the power cut out, and Em and I just wanted to lay down, have a rest. It's been a big day. And the power's out. I was like, oh, great. And so we off, went off for a walk through the village, and um, that was. You know, it's a tiny village, like four streets, basically, and would have had 15,000 people living in It was just insane. But the best experience we probably had in India too because they saw us as like, wow, they were so excited to see us and, and meet us, and, and we loved that. So old mate, he was the prince of the region. His father had been um, some minister for agriculture, or whether it was true or not, I don't know. Had no reason to not believe him. And he owned all the land of this village, and. The workers worked for him and this and that, which was interesting. And so this is the you know the driest, poorest area of India, and he, we're talking farming, which was good because everything relates back to farming in my world and, and probably yours too now, Ollie. And he said we're seven hundred mm rain. I was like, yeah, right. He said, how much do you? I was like, oh mate, <laughs> hopefully three hundred and fifty millimeters of year, and you know some years like last year, you know, I was lucky to get one hundred and eighty. And here we are, the driest area in India, and they're hundred millimeters of rain. I was like, wow, it makes sense that the you know what if they got a billion people there, and um, you can't do that without water." And so yeah, it, it rains there, and that was pretty impressive. Perspective, traveling, seeing these guys farming around the world and, and doing stuff. It's all about perspective, isn't it? You know, you come home with summer spraying at the minute, and you know, I sprayed two thousand acres yesterday. And, um, we're going all right. Um, at cricket training last night, a mate said that uh, he had a big day on the boom yesterday. East Braid, what did he say? 2,600 hectares. I thought, this is just insane.
0: That's insane.
1: It is insane. It is, and that's where we're at. So it gives you perspective and seeing what these other people do in other countries, and, and then Switzerland will be probably the same in a way, to what we're doing here. In a lot of these other countries, maybe the workforce is a bit easier to acquire, but where we are, workforce is, is getting Pretty skinny and not going to improve. And so, you know, the scale of machinery and, and efficiencies just have to get bigger. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. So that'll be really interesting to see.
0: Mate, it's fascinating. And I, I was chatting to Nigel recently, who's part of it, the growth awards as well. And I, I said to him, I think I'm going to have to stay in touch and, and loop back in with you guys because I think it's going to be so interesting to see. What one, as a group, the types of conversations that come out of it, but two, what that, it's exactly that perspective and seeing what others do and what works in their kind of pockets and how different ideas, practices, or even just literally just other ways of thinking and, and maybe it's a, a gratefulness or an appreciation that comes back to kind of what we've got or the way we do things it will be so interesting to see through what you guys do.
1: It makes you appreciate what you got, doesn't it? Um, seeing different parts of the world and how things work. Something obviously interesting in Europe is going to be the government regulations and restrictions on farming. We are probably not immune to that, mate. Like, who knows what's going to happen here in the next few years with carbon and, you know, pesticide usage and that sort of stuff. So it would be quite insightful to, to hear and see what those guys are dealing with over there for sure. Bloody oath. So
0: I've got one final question for you. Knowing what you know now and where you're at in your career, if you were starting over again, what would you do? What pathway would you pursue? <laughs>
1: Aren't you supposed to ask me about – I've listened to your podcast. Aren't you supposed to ask me about telling you 10 school kids or something? So that's interesting.
0: I've, ch- I've changed it up a bit here. This is the second time I've asked this question.
1: Yeah, right, I You can tell I've listened to a lot of your podcasts then, can't you?
0: But it's good. And, and you can tell that I'm, it's not just a script here. We, we change things up every now and then.
1: Yeah, yeah. Does the boss let you do that? <laughs> um, I don't know. What would I do? Would I go sharing or not? There you go. You start at the start, don't you? The road would have looked a lot different i think i don't think it would have changed anything mate i've no doubt picked the most stressful life i could have picked there's no doubt about that but you know without stress there's there's not great reward and nothing easy is worth fighting for and nothing fighting for is ever easy so yeah do it again
0: mate. i love that well marty thank you so much for coming on and having a chat i hope you have an amazing christmas and happy new year and we'll chat to you soon and follow your travels very closely
1: thanks ollie i appreciate it say that millie and love your show thank you
0: thanks mate well that's it for another episode from us here at humans of agriculture we hope you're enjoying these podcasts and well if you're not let us know hit us up at hello at humansofagriculture.com get in touch with any guest recommendations topics or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, subscribe, review it. Any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you next time. See ya.